0: Dave, on this show, we're gonna tie some of the greatest names in rock and roll music mm-hmm. together with one person. Okay, uh, like Barbara Streisand. Well, would she be a rock and roll person? But yes, Barbara Streisand, the Jackson Five, <sighs> Steely Dan, Rod Stewart, uh, th- all Beatles, all four Beatles, all four. Mick Jagger, Dire Straits, Marvin Gaye, uh, yeah. All of those have all been uh, produced or engineered by our guest today, who is Bill Schnee. Right. And it's just a fraction of the artists that he has worked with. Manutiman's celebrity interview is up next. But first, listen to this other fine OPI show. On the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, it's part two of our very special program with Sam Fiorani of Auto Forecast Solutions. As we continue our talk about everything automotive, I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Costable for part two of this very special episode of the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lozano podcast. And Opie production on the Radio Misfits
1: Podcast Network. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia
0: Man Celebrity interview,
1: interview with Rick and Dave.
0: Hey, Dave, we got a legend on the yeah. show with us this week, Bill Schnee. Is an internationally renowned producer, engineer, mix master. He's got over 125 gold and platinum records, which is 125 more than we have.
1: So uh, so the three of us, we've combined for 125 <laughs> gold and platinum records.
0: He's got more than 50 top 20 singles. I mean, it's everybody that you can possibly think of. Barbara Streisand of the Jacksons, Rod Stewart, Steal It In, Whitney Houston, Dire Straits i read every word of his incredible book chairman at the board and i think the only problem we're going to have here bill is that i've got too many questions to ask
1: you've blocked out six and a half hours haven't you
0: Uh, thank you for slumming it with us on the show this week i i'll I'll promise we'll keep it at a reasonable length but i wanted to start with uh something that you and i and dave the three of us have in common and that is, we all had stern German fathers. Uh, uh, my dad actually grew up in Austria. Your dad was Austrian, right?
2: Yes, that's correct.
0: And when I read that part of your book where your dad said, when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> now, that is something that I sympathize with. Yeah, well,
2: the you put it, when are you putting this rock and roll stuff? Get the job. Yeah. You, and you know, guys, the funny thing about that, or sad thing, depending how you look at it, is that that's probably not that uncommon Uh, with with a lot of parents when their kids are looking at something like rock and roll to get yeah sure but this was after i was i already had a couple of grammy nominations and 10 gold records or something (laughs) and that's when he asked me when i was going to get a real job and i dad this is my job and i think i'm good at. i really love what
0: i actually had an interview one time just so you know a little bit about our background dave and i were a radio and uh i once uh, was interviewed at a uh a television station and I came home from work and I said to my dad, I just did an interview with a, uh, with a television station to work on their station. And he goes, television's never going to last. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a passing fad. Right. Well, yeah. go to
1: Brisbane, go to business school. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, well, and I thought Rick wasn't, the the only time you got any credit was when you were on the german radio station yes
0: right? yes <laughs> i did a an interview in german and the only credit i got was that it was in german not that i was on the
1: radio <laughs> uh, you know so your dad was around to see at least some of your
2: success that you yeah had. and obviously wasn't impressed so yeah. there you go. well we are my mother, yeah. my mother like like lots of mothers, you know, she loved everything I did. So she was quite happy But about it. But uh, if I ever end up in a psychiatrist couch, I'm sure that that's
0: <laughs> what we'll start. We'll be right there with you. Um, I thought about doing this interview chronologically, but I, I, I think we might run out of time if I do that because I have too many questions. But I want to start with the chapter that really killed me, and that is... Uh, the stuff about the Beatles. I mean, you didn't produce or engineer a Beatles record, but you came as close as anybody has when you worked on Ringo's best album, which that featured songs by Paul, George and John. And all three of them came into the studio to work on those songs, although not at the same time. Right. Right.
2: Well, what happened, here's how it happened. to Give you a little uh, condensed version. Uh, Richard Perry, the great producer Richard Perry had uh, met Ringo when he was doing Harry Nielsen in England Harry and Ringo were good friends and they he, uh, Richard and Ringo kept up a conversation and till they finally decided they'd make a record together and I had done some work with Richard Perry with Streisand and Carly Simon and whatnot and, and he, said, um, he said we're going to do an album with Ringo and I thought oh that's great and uh, so we got started on it and a couple of days in uh, george flew over from england and he listened to what we had done and he kind of jumped in and you know overdubbed on a couple of things and he brought a song to the table that he had actually recorded with ringo in england called photograph Mm that uh that but it was decided that it was a little too somber i mean it, it is a sad song the poor boy's lost his girl and all he has is photograph but it was the, the his version was a little too somber, so it was decided to recut it. And Richard came up with the idea of doing a Phil Spector kind of thing, wall of sound. And then, uh, and so that
0: song was how, a number one hit, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was.
2: And so then, uh, lo and behold, on the end of the week, Richard said that by the way, on Monday, <laughs> oh by the way, uh, John will be coming in. He has a song for Ringo too. And so on that Monday. Uh, I did record three of the Beatles. That was the first time and the only time after the breakup of the band that they ever played together, the three of them. And uh, the most interesting part to me of what went on back then is that uh, I, I looked at it that these guys were all giving Ringo a leg up. They knew their careers, solo careers were going to do fine, but Ringo not being the songwriter that they were maybe he needed a leg up kind of thing and paul wrote a song for ringo for the album as well but unfortunately paul couldn't come in the country because he'd had a drug bust and back they said you can't you know they kept him out for nine months or a year or something but we'll never know what might have happened if he hadn't had that drug bust and had come over because there, there well could have been a real reunion it might have changed a whole lot of things wow <laughs>
0: the the deny the, the dynamic though that you describe in the book about when john showed up and you know the just that he kind of took charge right i mean the the other guys just listened to him like he was the boss
2: yeah it was it was quite interesting because the, those first couple of days when it when it was just ringo you know he, ringo is ringo you know it's just like what you see is what you get he's just very affable and fun loving and whatnot And then uh, the quiet one, the quiet one, supposedly, uh, George wasn't so quiet, really. But, you know, he seemed to, you know, he took charge, especially on photograph. He was very uh, involved and whatnot and what went on. But when John showed up, it was a completely different dynamic. It was all eyes went to John. Uh, The the first few minutes, I wish I wish like crazy it was on film. The first few minutes were probably the most interesting when he came in the room and and they saw each other and realized what was going to happen and whatnot. I mean, it was just a very, a very strange feeling wow. in, in a good way, but strange. And then they uh, sat down to get he sat down to piano and got ready to do it. And all eyes went to him. And it was very obvious that uh, he was in charge. And it, when he ran the show and uh, it was obvious that when he was happy with the track, that that's the one we'd have wow
0: (laughs) Wow! (laughs) i mean as somebody who had seen it all up until then i can tell that even you were kind of mesmerized by it oh
2: totally yeah i mean it was uh you know i I was mesmerized uh, i was mesmerized when I, i think i said in the book when i did the setup the before the first day of recording and i saw I walked in this empty studio and all it was there was Ringo's drums, you know, and I'm looking at Ringo's drums and it may not have been the set that he played uh, any of the Beatle records on. I don't know if it was or it wasn't, but it was still Ringo's drums. And so the whole thing was, you know, obviously a, an incredible pinch me moment for me. But that, that one Monday night was just complete magic without question. It was just fascinating to watch, fascinating to listen to.
1: So when um, didn't you you had dinner at George's castle in England too right and didn't he kind of take it yeah. through the catacombs and uh, yeah. tell that
2: <laughs> yeah he uh, so when we we went to England as I said to uh, record Paul's song and uh, George had come back to England as well and so uh, on the weekend the we took the weekend off and he invited Richard and I to come to his castle and uh, and uh, have dinner and so that's what we did and he was married to patty at the time who and they were both vegetarians and i wasn't Uh, i did stop eating meat about 10 years later red meat which whatever but at the time i remember distinctly what they don't eat meat
0: <laughs> when's the main course <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> but but guys when that food when that meal was served i have to tell you i remember distinctly thinking wow i i wouldn't care about meat if i could eat like this all the time oh, yeah. she was an excellent cook and and uh and it, it was really special the, the meal anyway uh and after uh after dinner uh, sitting around and um, so, you know some certain rock stars fellow uh, British musicians uh, kept showing up and at one point uh, one of them said why don't why don't we go in the catacombs and George said why don't we and it turns out that the guy that built this castle or the first owner thereof had must have been one weird guy because under his huge property the they just it went for I'd like to say miles and it probably wasn't miles but it was a long way I just know that he gave us all a torch and we went down under and as a whole idea of the thing was uh, you know it was sort of like a house of mirrors except there's no mirrors it's just a house of you know tunnels that you're walking through and um, they all get off uh, they would all get off scaring each other and me <laughs> um, and uh which is pretty easy to do right? if you're the least bit claustrophobic and I didn't know until that night that I am the least bit claustrophobic <laughs> I am too and uh <laughs> and uh it, it was it was wild and I know it's going around one you know every turn you're wondering if some guy's going to jump back out and go <laughs> <"Wah!" after. laughs> And, but honestly, the very worst one was when I went, out, I, I remember going around this one corner uh, rather briskly, and there was a complete skeleton there. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that did more. That was worse from my heart than any of the guys street at me or whatever. Guys, and, uh, and it was the engineer on the last album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, I just, and when we came out, When we came out, it was hysterical. Ha ha. I could not tell you how far away it was from where we had first gone in. I mean, it was, it's just a massive labyrinth of tunnels. It was amazing.
1: Yeah. I, I just love, you know, guys will be guys. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it no doesn't man, matter
2: if you're a, a beetle, beetle or a president you know, or Joe or, Schmo. Uh,
0: yeah. You're still a guy. <laughs> you know, you're, you're talking about that as a, a, a and I'm sorry, I'm going to keep asking questions about this, but the, you know, that was like a party that you went to at George's house, but the way you described uh, LA sessions it was kind of a party in the in the studio too wasn't it
2: oh yeah it, i i had never been to a scene like that and i haven't since um yeah it was definitely an event uh ringo being in the studio and it was just you know all kinds of different luminaries that uh uh but the best for me of course was uh, being the big beach boy fan was brian wilson mm. uh well, he showed up and i was just thrilled beyond belief to meet him Uh, as i said being you know i I was very very affected by the beach boys when i was a kid and um
0: but he kind of disappointed you too
2: well yeah yeah, it was because when he and i think it was was it harry nielsen i said i I went in the bathroom and here here brian wilson and harry nielsen and let me tell you how much talent is contained and was contained those two bodies, and there they were at the urinal, crossing swords. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Again, guys will be and, guys.
2: Well, yeah, there you go. You all just said that. <laughs>
0: all right, let's go. Let's go through with the list of some of the other artists you've worked with. I mean, there was Elton John, Toto, Boskags, Huey Lewis, Mark Knopfler, Steely Dan, and I, I know you're kind of sick of talking about Steely Dan because those those are the guys that you won the grammy award with but uh the album you did with them asia um the first album you did with them unbelievable one of the greatest albums of all time um you know donald fagan and walter becker have a reputation for being a little difficult and persnickety um but you seemed to get along with them okay didn't you
2: yeah i don't know that i had anything to do with it it's 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 a mystery to me I have friends, uh, Jeff Piccaro and and Michael O'Mardian that they had played on their previous records. And so when Gary Katz, the producer called and asked if I wanted to record the next album, I, I said, sure, because I knew they were a great band. I had already become a big fan, but I was a little nervous about what it was gonna be like because I don't tend to, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't tend to like those crazy sessions that just go on forever but I was completely surprised and elated to find that it was nothing like that Um, it was a very different album than what they had done in the sense that it was all studio musicians they had brought in different studio musicians in the past but this was all top 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 players at at the time and uh, the sessions were uh, were very professional it was a no drug zone funny enough The, the basic tracks were a no drug zone and we we started at two every day and we never went super late into the night um, they, <clears throat> they came in <clears throat> excuse me they came in every day with a piano based demo that they had made sometimes it had a, a, a part of a vocal on it or maybe just la-la's or something sometimes it didn't have any vocal on it yet any melody just the chord progression and um, uh, Larry Carlton had done track sheets based on those demos so that's where they started every time they had a very good very good place to start so good in fact that on more than one occasion one of the musicians would say guys this demo is so good why don't we just why don't you just put the overdub on it and you'll have it you know it's done and uh every time uh donald said no no we'll get it better we'll get that's it better great. yeah and uh that's amazing yeah. Yeah, it and you know what can you say it uh, you know uh, yeah the, I, I'm a little tired of talking about it just because uh, I I've, I've never done any self promotion in my whole career until I wrote this book and the publisher said mm, why don't you uh, do some interviews and talk about uh, what's in the book so okay and of course everybody wants to talk about that record and rightly so I mean it is many many people's you know one of, if not their favorite one of their favorite records from the era certainly. Uh, yeah, you know, I,
0: I think it's I think it's the uh, the the German father again. You know that <laughs> no one wants to hear you stories.
2: <laughs> so uh, anyway, yeah, it was it, it was quite. I just you know one of my best memories of that was getting uh we would take a uh, i would take a cassette home you guys know what a cassette was yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we're we're, we're We're almost 60. 60. (laughs) Uh, we take a cassette home uh pop it in the car and i could not believe what we had just done and i remember thinking what in the world is this it's you know because what kind of a genre do we put this in because it's not exactly jazz. It's jazzy and it's not exactly rocky. Oh, there's some rock elements sometimes, sometimes a little bluesy. And you know, all you could, all I could say was, I don't know what it is, but it's great. <laughs> it yeah. couldn't, I couldn't oh. stop listening to the tracks.
0: And it did pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> from what I understand. Yeah, and as I mentioned to you before, we started taping it. Uh, Steely Dan is one of those bands that my son and I uh, can listen to together. You know, get, get, get different generations. Um, he just appreciates the great musicianship and songwriting ability of those guys. It was, yeah. you know, th- th- those albums stand the test of time.
2: Yeah. You have to have to say that, you know, I I talk about in the book about the fact that that era, what, what made that era so special, which included the fact that, you know, as you point out, songwriting was still king. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, bands played together in the room and whatnot. And as you point out, you know, this is superlative musicianship with some unbelievably great uh, musical pieces. So uh, it deserves everything that uh, it gets, I think.
1: So you paraphrase a um, quote in your book. I want to read the quote. The music industry is a cold cutthroat business inhabited by despicable lowlifes looking to stab the competition in the back where no talented people will do anything to get ahead. There's also a bad side. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> that's a great quote by uh, Hunter, uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, uh, you, Hunter tell a, Thompson. Yeah, um, you tell a few stories in your book about getting screwed. And I don't know if you intended this, but it, it sounds like you didn't really have a particularly great
2: experience dealing with Motown records.
1: You want to kind of expand on that a little bit?
2: okay this this would not uh, be exactly screwed i mean there's you read the book there's worse yeah, ones right,
0: for right. yeah that's true but,
2: but yes uh yeah so i started i got uh, very fortunate to meet some people in early early 70s i started mixing some motown records except that they didn't give me credit they would say special thanks bill <laughs> snay yeah <laughs> my, <laughs> yeah my mentor one of my mentors uh richie podler uh, had told me when I w- was starting out he said the credits that you're going to get are more important than the money you're going to make he said the money you're going to spend it it'll be gone the credits are going to live with you and going to get you the next job and so it will go down the line That you know that next job will get you those credits will get you the next job and so on so uh, cre- I knew credits were important so uh, and yet I it was early enough so that I couldn't you know I didn't know what to do about it I you know I <laughs> I didn't know what to do about it. So anyway, they, Suzanne DePass, who was Barry Gordy's right-hand girl, ran everything there, called me to uh, come in for a meeting, and it was to do a Marvin Gaye live album. He hadn't sung in a few years after his singing partner, Tammy Terrell, had passed, and and he had a rough time, but he was back to ready to work, and he had just put out a really good album, things were great, and they thought, maybe this is the right time. So she said, I don't know if it's gonna work or not. You know, we, ha- we have every intention. We're gonna do everything completely right. We'd love you to record it. And I said, okay, I just have two, uh, I don't know how I worded it. I probably said requests, but I really meant them as demands. Uh, I said, uh, first, I really would like to get credit for it on, on the record recorded by Bill Schnee. She said, oh, no problem. And I said, and second, I wanted, I'd like a chance to mix it. If Marvin doesn't want to use my mixes that's fine but at least I want a shot at doing it she said also no problem well guys one out of two isn't bad yeah. <laughs> uh, So, uh, yes it did come out with uh, recorded by Bill Schnee but they did not give me a chance to mix it but uh, as <laughs> what is it I don't know what it is Fate. Uh, it's, it's uh, a wonderful thing is about 20 years later Motown is sold and they have a girl running a division called special products division and she calls me up and says we want to remix the Marvin Gaye live album that you recorded and we want you to mix it and i and i went what uh, absolutely and it was great because you know i got a chance i finally got a chance to do it yeah. and funny thing about that you know the tape comes in the, and on the box there you know we had a, we always have a legend inside the track sheet that shows what's on individ- every individual track and he, he had by the way for that for that one night it was a one-shot deal you go in in the afternoon they do a sound check you grab your sounds and that night you you record it uh, and there, there's a lot of pressure on those things but they they had put together the best R&B band you could get at the time, just incredible musicians, and a nice horn section, and even a small string session, section. So when I got the legend back here 20 years later, I noticed right away, you know, your handwriting doesn't change. Yep, that's my handwriting. Oh, you know, still- cool it is handwriting i should have been a doctor with that handwriting.
0: <laughs> your dad would have been happier yeah, with that exactly <laughs> and you're a
2: doctor good meet my son the doctor <laughs> <laughs> and uh so your handwriting doesn't change but neither does your sense of humor because knowing that there was no way you were going to be able to get a decent string sound with that kind of kicking band and horns and everything uh on the tracks marked strings there was an asterisk and at the bottom i had the asterisk key and it said good luck with this <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah your sense of humor doesn't change either and uh, so anyway I got to mix it and uh, uh, I kind of got to tell you I think mine was better but unfortunately of course Marvin never got to hear it because he it was hit on and killed by his father yeah. sadly that's
0: it. So. Sad. I mean alright so now we're we've already got the Beatles we've got uh, Marvin Gaye <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, the king of pop Michael Jackson you also worked with him uh, you worked with him when he was 11, and then again when he was in his 20s, and you even toured with uh, he and his brothers, right, to record a live yeah.
1: album.
2: Yeah. So the, the, the cute connection is uh, the first studio I worked in in Hollywood was, let's just say it was kind of Mickey Mouse. It just wasn't a great studio, and didn't do a lot of sessions and so on. But one day Motown calls up and says – uh, you know, uh, we have an emergency kind of session for th- this Thursday. Uh, are you available? And I didn't have to look at the book. Oh, yeah, we're available. <laughs> uh, let me and, check. Uh, uh, I can move yeah. this guy around. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I said, sure. And I said, OK, we have our own, We'll be bringing a Motown engineer. You know, those guys that always got the credit when I only got right. special. Right. Anyway, <laughs> and down there. And so he uh, they, they booked the time and uh thursday came i was very excited uh and uh when i happened to be outside when this green econoline van pulled up that said the jacksons gary indiana and uh, who i would learn was papa joe got out of the driver's seat went back and opened up and out popped the five little gentlemen starting with jackie and ending with michael and uh he introduced me we all made the introductions went inside the engineer showed up and they were doing background vocals so i i got them set up with their headphones and the engineer comfortable with everything that we had there to do and then i went out in the lounge and sat down next to little 10 or 11 uh year old michael and i told him i said michael you know i i bought your first album i really like it oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) voice never did change and uh and uh uh, I we talked about you know I told talked about some songs on the record and whatnot I, I said you know I said, you guys are going to be big stars and he just kind of <laughs> and uh, you know I, I, ten minutes in or something I turned to him and I said Michael do you know what's going on and he went not really <laughs> and I I thought yeah I can see that he really didn't uh, he was he was just a typical ten year old kid just yeah. you know very animated shuffling his feet and so on. So then uh, 10, 11 years later, um, I get called by Freddie DeMann, who's managing the Jacksons at the time to, and uh, wanna do a live album. And it was right after Michael had made that great off the wall album. And so we discussed how, wh- how it should be done. Uh, I said, I think you should do it in the middle of the tour when, you know, before they're burned out, but while the band's really tight, And it works out perfectly because in the Northeast where all the venues are close enough together that the recording truck can get from one to another, uh, that'll work out great. We can get a lot of shows in a very short amount of time. And he said, uh, and I'm going, you'll, you'll be traveling on the bus with them. And I went, really? (laughs) Well, that's interesting. And uh, so they, they flew me to uh, Atlanta to see a show first. I sat in the audience and watched the incredible show that it was and then uh, the next morning i was taken to the special lounge that they had reserved for them uh private lounge waiting for the plane and I, as i walked in the room the boys four of them were all sitting on the floor around each other just kind of john and over on the other side of the of the room all by himself was michael so i just went over and plopped myself down next to him and introduced myself shook his hand and said i'm going to be recording you guys and and then i asked him dad do you remember about 10 11 years ago being in a studio for just one day and blah 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 and he didn't remember it jackie definitely did uh, when i spoke to him about it later Uh, but michael didn't and i told him you know what had gone on and i said and i asked you if you knew what was going on and you really didn't and and then i said well, Michael, do you know what's happening now? <laughs> and he just looked over with this wry smile. And uh yeah, that was that was that was quite a thing, being on the bus and whatnot, and obviously there's some stories in there and maybe some that I couldn't write about, you never know. <laughs> but uh. Yeah.
0: Well, and some are in the book and we shouldn't tell every because right. in the book is is tremendous and some of the some of those stories there's a story about something that happened on that bus that is is interesting. Oh. I'll let people read it when they pick up your book. But uh,
1: yeah. yet another question. So yeah, you got seventy five percent of the Beatles. Yeah, worked with Barbara Streisand. No, hundred percent of the Beatles. Yeah, he worked with he, yeah, are you, are you, all of them, but not at, at one time. Yeah, yeah right. right, right. Um, Michael Jackson. God, I don't know. Did you work with Whitney Houston by any chance? Uh, yeah. uh, probably the most popular song of the past thirty years. I will always love you. You were yeah. there for the recording of that classic. And
2: yeah, I recorded it. Tell us that Yeah, that, that, uh, that was great. Uh, so obviously that was, she was doing her first movie, The Bodyguard and uh, the, in the movie she's on, she's a star and she's singing uh, in concerts and so on. Those are all actual records that she's lip syncing, records that were made. Most of them, I think by David Foster, but the end scene was to be this big ballad and she didn't want to have to try to lip sync it because she knew the camera's going to be right in her face you know it's very different than dancing around on stage you know so she wanted to record it live so david foster called me and said get a get a a recording truck and meet me in florida they're they're doing the scene It, it, it takes place on a big stage in the movie but in actual fact it was on a multi-purpose room in the fountain blue hotel in miami you know movie magic and uh, so we uh uh I, I got there and everything was set up fortunately the way i had asked for it and uh whatnot and we uh when, be, when we started doing it the funny part to me was she was actually nervous um and uh, here you know at that point she had sung in front of you know tons times 20,000 people sometimes as many as a hundred thousand people uh, without any nerves and here she was in this little dark room with uh, a crew of 30 40 people and she was clearly nervous and uh, you know I guess it was the camera thing obviously and so but it took a few takes and 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 t- it got better but not good they finally took a, a break after <clears throat> after four I think and um, uh take five was was unbelievable There was there was the hair on the back of not I'm sure everybody's neck when she hit that and I'm that at the end yeah it was just unbelievable and uh and then and then as typically happens it was absolutely gorgeous and so the director said that was amazing can we do one more for
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. right. 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 Uh, You know, uh, that's, that's a great story. Uh, the, the other one that kind of caught my eye was this Carly Simon stuff. at the Towards the beginning of your career, uh, that No Secrets album, which is a classic. Uh, you had a big part in that. Um, and, you know, obviously the big question, you kind of alluded to it in the book, uh, there's the secret you know the the album's called no secrets but there is a giant secret in this uh in this album and that's you're so vain about who the song is about she i think she recently sold that at auction to one person it, it,
2: oh i i think she uh, i i well i know that in in her book she's definitely said that at least one verse goes to um uh Warren Beatty you know, warren beatty right yeah so at least one verse goes to warren beatty right uh, but, th- but there's so, two other verses <laughs> right yes and she, she's she been romant- she had been romantically linked to quite a few people that it could that would be good candidates including but, uh, the
0: person that does backup vocals on that song right
2: exactly mick jagger
0: <laughs> so were you there when mick came in or was that something that was no. given to you as a
2: all, I, 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 I just mixed the album. Okay. All the had was done in England. And uh, the, what I was told is that, you know, Harry Nielsen was, was there to do the uh, backgrounds on You're So Vain. And Mick happened to call up and say what was going on. And Harry said, you know, I'm doing some backgrounds. Actually, you should come down here. And he encouraged him. He came down. Mick came down. and When he came in, they said, you should sing this. And so, lo and behold, he done did it. And uh, it's kind of funny so many people don't realize who that is. And then when I've told them or I've gotten response from the book uh, that you know once once they now know it and they listen to that song again, oh, of course that's Mick Jagger. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's obviously him. But you, again, yeah, it's not obvious if you don't if you're not thinking about it because why would you associate Mick with Carly Simon on a song like that? That's probably why. But. We have to take a break. Minutium Men Celebrity Interview will be right back.
1: And friends
0: and everyone at OPI Shows want you to make sure to wash your hands.
1: And if you're still one of those people who don't wash their hands after they use the bathroom, please do that now. That's
0: something you should have been doing anyway. Cover your mouth when you cough. You can save the world by sitting on your ass at home. You cannot afford to miss this opportunity. You won't get another one. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. RadioMisfits.com Stay home. You will be saving the world. Alright Adam what uh, country are you from? I am from England. What is the best soccer league in the entire world? The English Premier League. What is your day job? Director of Coaching for Illinois Youth Soccer. So if you were, say, a fan of English Premier League and you wanted to hear the, the opinions of someone who is from England, who knows a lot of soccer, what podcast would you tell people they need to listen to? Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. And that's on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Free Kicks, a Tony Lozano
1: podcast, Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place radiomisfits.com we're
0: back with more manusha celebrity interview well your book is
1: great where can people well first of all how can people it's called chairman at the board right where can people get it i imagine everywhere books are sold on amazon and also how can people keep up with you are you active on social media are you you know website plug
2: away i'm I'm not that active on social media, a little bit, not much. But uh, the the great thing is, you know, they cut out over a third of the book in editing. And I was bemoaning that my loss to a friend of mine. You know, that's a lot of work that went down the drain. Yeah. And my friend said, you should just get a website and in the book tell them, go to this website, put in um, some secret phrase, and then they can read the rest. And so that's what we have. It's at BillSneigh.com. And uh, in the book, you, you get the phrase and you can go and did you guys get to go back? Behind the curtain, there it's sort of the deleted scenes on the yeah. DVD.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I looked at it. I didn't have a chance to go through all of it. But yeah, yeah. That's,
2: well, let me tell you that a lot of people. One of the one guy that left a review said that he thought that stuff was better than what's in the book. I didn't <laughs> right. tell the editor right. that. But right.
1: Uh, right. again, a G- but it, your well, German father said. Yeah, that,
2: that's
0: right? kind of <laughs> hard to believe that there's better than it because the book itself is fantastic. And, and before we let you go, uh, my mo- I told my mother today who's still alive. She's in her eighties she uh that I was interviewing you and she had one question when I told when I told her your name Bill Schnee he's, she said please ask him if he's ever heard of the Schnee waltzer it's a german waltz apparently <laughs> named after you did you know that
2: no like well, she probably told schnee is snow in german
0: right i know i know but uh, there is if you ever if you ever want no. to pick up a song there's a song called the schneewalzer which is uh, a uh, a german folk song that uh, has your name
1: in it and and we I'm actually going- mixed the record on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Michael Jackson does backup vocals. It's amazing. Right. <laughs> I'm
2: going to check it out as soon as we uh, say adieu. Yeah, it's great.
0: Well, thanks very much, Bill. This has been this a thrill. Be uh, we just enjoyed this so much. Uh, we greatly appreciate you being on the show.
1: and We wish you the best.
2: All right. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed the book. It makes me happy.
1: All right. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> well, that's it for this week's edition of the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with OpiShows.com. Opi is hippo backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. Distributed by Ed Silla. Radio Misfits. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It's just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we will be back again next week with another edition of Anusha Men Celebrity Interview.
0: The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? Back to you with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. I don't know what the hell I'm doing with this thing, We're just a head full of nonsense. That should be the name of the podcast, A Headful of Nonsense. This show, this podcast, is an hour or less guaranteed to uplift you. Guaranteed is strong. To help you, to make you laugh, to make you cry.
1: It does that for me, yes.
0: To make you mad. It does that too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Back to you. opishows.com I love it. Or you find podcasts, just search for radio misfits talking over each other. <laughs> yes.
1: Now they know they got the right show. Now they know it's us. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. That ain't going to be a promo.
1: This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. I was at the temple on Monday. I was walking into the temple and I held the door open for a pretty attractive older woman. I'd say she was like in her early 70s, maybe. And she goes, well, thank you. Are you here for the seniors event? Oh, ouch. Oh, let the record show. She was kind of hot in a 70-year-old kind of way. So I'm like, are you listening to what you're saying right now? (laughs)
2: Minutia Men with Rick and Dave, the Tony Lasano podcast, and Opie production on the Radio Misfits podcast network. What would that be, a
1: GMIF? Uh, Oh, my God. Oh, my Um, God. Stop. Great talk
0: radio isn't
1: dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com.